This episode of the PC Perspective Podcast is brought to you by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price, because everyone deserves a great night's sleep. Get $50 off any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash PCPer and enter code PCPer. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode number 428 being recorded December 7th, 2016. I'm Alan Malventano. I'm Jeremy Holstrom. I'm Josh Walrath. And that's it. There's no other, no Ryan. He's somewhere, somewhere in an Uber getting lost in traffic. Screaming at traffic. Screaming at traffic. Um, yeah, so, you know, we've still got stuff to talk about. Uh, but before we get into all that stuff we want to talk about, uh, let's see here. PCPro.com slash podcast is where you find the information and the show notes and all the, all the what fors and whatnots and whatever about this episode and, uh, prior episodes. Uh, where is this thing? Yep. PCPR mailing list, which I believe Ryan sent out the email from the Uber, uh, this time. Yeah, just just that that was a painful email that he sent out. Uh, our our guy is fighting with the computer. There we go. There it switched to the subscribe. Good, good job. All right, um, subscribe to the mailing list, which is also on this other screen that the that the new guy has to switch to, so that I can show the people on the thing. There we go. Uh, yeah, we got to show the peeps. So you got to show the peeps. Yeah, um, mailing list. You put your name in there, you put your email address in there, and we just, you know, we do like an email blast before we record shows. And if you want to be on that blast, then, uh, you know, sign up for the thing. That's the only thing we use that for. We don't, we won't spam you. Um, much, yeah. Uh, next up, uh, you can also support us on Patreon. If you like the stuff we're doing and the content we're making and you want to help us uh, keep the lights on and stuff, then, uh, you know, uh, feel free to chip in. I cannot read the uh, the changes or the increases in your amounts because I do not have the email going to me. That goes to Ryan. But if you want to spam the crap out of Ryan, who is currently in traffic with a bunch of Patreon emails, then uh, feel free and send an appropriate message to him for someone stuck in an Uber in traffic. All right. So that's, uh, that's the intro stuff. Oh, yeah, giveaway. Even though we don't have an uh, entry on the left side, I guess the giveaway is still a thing. Is it not? It is still a thing, right, guys? We when I, are when, giving that away. Win the white special edition Corsair RM1000i. We there are 93 minutes left. Oh, is it only 93 minutes left? Okay, so this is basically only for the live people. Uh, 92 minutes left. Yeah. So, nine different ways to enter. If you're watching on the live stream, jump in there. Uh, yeah, that's about all I'll say about that. It is a nice looking power supply. Yeah, it's what, 100? Only 100 of them? Yeah, they're only going to make yep. 100, 100 of these. Uh, pretty much requires you to like go you know, all white on your case and your motherboard and everything else. 
I'll just put it on top of a cardboard box. The other motherboard box, but the motherboard is actually laying on top of. That's true. You'll just have it sitting on the table. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) All right. Uh, Okay. Now we got like the intro, um, you know, minutia stuff out of the way. Uh, We can review. Who did this first one? Aki. Well, there's only one guy that lives on cases and keyboards. Oh, that's true. He insulates his basement with uh, with cases and uh, keyboard boxes. Uh, Aki KM G3 RGB mechanical gaming keyboard. Uh, reviewed by Sebastian. Uh, sixty dot. Wait, wait a minute. RGB backlit keyboard for sixty bucks. Mm-hmm. Is it like mechanical keys? No. Uh, this is generic blue switches. Oh, so well, but they say blue. Yeah, meaning yeah. that they are acting like some sort of a you know, like individually switched keys kind of keyboard. All right. Uh, damn, I just can't get over the price. Sixty bucks. Is it like individual R- key RGB lighting? I'm lo- I'm looking for a catch here. Like, there's there's got to be a catch or something about this thing like well it doesn't come with software so there's like certain patterns that you can choose i think oh okay so you can't like customize don't know that you can do like the rainbow effects and the waterfall and that that some of the higher quality ones will do uh any combination of keys you need uh is all you need to cycle between colors and patterns with separate controls for backlight intensity okay so it looks like you're able to do different sections of the keyboard <laughs> Oh, it has a wave. Okay. So there's a wave or all of the keys being certain colors, which, you know, yeah. covers like the majority of what people are doing with these things. I mean, I we have an RGB keyboard, like several of them in the office here, and I have one at the house. And like, I don't think I've ever gone as far as making them like, you know, if this game is running only like the, mo- the, the motion keys or whatever, or like going crazy snazzy on it. Um I typically just set it up just to have like all the keys, whatever, you know, whatever color and like maybe set a macro so I can adjust like the brightness easily or something like that. So, uh, you know, I mean, I guess that covers the majority of what people would want to do with it. And you don't have to then worry about installing silly software, right? Like the car, the Corsair keyboards. I think if you want to have any modes at all, like you have to have the software running. Otherwise you can just have like one preset or something saved on there if you want to not have the software. So this one uh, potentially, you know, more flexible in that way. You know, you're not forced into having the software installed on your on your machine. Uh, so let's see here. He talks about uh, feel of the keyboard. Very clicky. Blue. It's the blue keys. Yep. The blues have click? And clack. Oh, those are the click. Okay, okay, yeah. Uh... Oh, the browns are the quieter yeah. ones that still have the feel of a yep. click. Yeah, okay. And the reds are the ones that uh, do not have a click. Uh, huh. Uh, so he says they feel a little bit lighter than uh, cherry-style blue switches. Um, you know, but they're still doing the clicky thing. All right. I mean, still, $60 RGB keyboard with uh actual you know legit keys legit yeah. uh key switches huh wonder if we'll bring this down so we can try it 
think he's uh, paying us a visit this weekend up here. That poor bastard. Yeah. All right. Uh, next up, what do we got? I don't know. What do we got? Uh, it says might be something that that that, uh, that Josh maybe hath hath prepared for us, perhaps. <sighs> So Thrustmaster made the foolish mistake of sending me yet another wheel and, and base to test out. And this time it's the TMX. It uh, is very similar to the previous T-150 in that it's a low-cost, entry-level, force-feedback wheel that is compatible with the Xbox One and the PC. Uh, unlike the T-150, it only has about 900 degrees of rotation as compared to 1080 on the T-150. Uh, it, it's a very basic setup. I mean, you've got the base, you've got the wheel. You can't detach the wheel like uh, you can on some of the other higher-end uh, Thrustmaster products like the TX, T300, T300, T500. And uh, it, it utilizes a, a smaller-than-average wheel. It's about 11 inches wide instead of uh, the usual 12 or 13 that some of these other products feature. Um Again, cost is the prime motivator of this part. And they have taken a few shortcuts. So the mounting mechanism is not as robust as you see on some of the higher-end products, but it still fits pretty tight. It's a smaller product overall. It's you know actually kind of tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't swap out the wheels. It has a rubberized wheel coating. On it, uh, there's very little metal on it. The the shaft, of course, is metal, but uh, that's in the bearings, and that's that's essentially about it. Oh, and plus the mounting mechanism screw. Otherwise, if it was plastic, it would break very quickly once you start tightening that down. Looks it, like the uh, pedals are a little bit lighter a, weight, too. Oh, yeah. We'll get to that. Um, it features a kind of dual hybrid uh, pulley and gear system for the force feedback. This allows them to use a uh, less powerful motor motor than what you see with the TX or the T300, which again is is lower price. And uh, it feels pretty good. You get a little bit of notchiness from the gearing, but it's not terrible. And uh, when I utilized this and used it in games, I found that it had a slightly better feel than the previous T-150 that I had reviewed. I, I'm not sure if that was just my mind playing tricks, but I found my times were, were pretty good. And uh, I didn't lose a lot of time as compared to having a higher-end wheel set up. Um, so it, 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 the force feedback is solid. It's, it's not overly powerful. It's not going to break your wrists. You can hold on to it when you wreck, and you can kind of hold it still, uh, unlike in some of the other, uh, like the, the high-end Fanatec stuff, where you don't particularly want to do that. Um, but the, the drawbacks, of course, are they're saving as much money as possible. I believe that these have an MSRP of 179 to 199 depending on when and where you get it from. Uh, it's in U.S. dollars, of course. Uh, another, as mentioned to Alan, the uh, the pedals are are really lightweight. It's all plastic construction. If you had uh, looked at some of the other models of the higher end, they have a lot more metal on them. Um, you can tell you even can. the even the reinforcement for like the the shaft of the the support for the pedal itself is like really 
you know, I mean, they, they made it structurally sound, but it, it's just super lightweight, like uh, honeycomb style plastic kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, you know, it works well enough, but, you know, the brake pedal has um, some increasing resistance as you press it down, but it's not a whole lot. The uh, accelerator has, you know, pretty good feel and it's easy to, to, you know, flick back and forth and throttle up and down. Uh, one of the nice things about this product is you can actually upgrade it in that you can add the T3PA uh, and T3PA Pro pedals to it. They're a little bit higher end, heavier. Uh, often they will have a clutch unit to them. And it also has the ability to add in the uh, TH8, I believe, the gear shift uh, that can be swapped from sequential to H uh, shift mode. Uh, those are relatively inexpensive parts. Well, I think that the pedals are 79 unless you get the really expensive one. They're, they're about 150 bucks. But if if you wanted to have this as kind of a starter kit to just get off the ground, get racing, see if you like it, then you can add components to it bit by bit. And eventually you would have to get like a T300 or one of the new um, PCTX or PCTC. I can't remember the new latest bad boy from uh, Thrustmaster. Um, but it's a possibility then to utilize the different parts uh, for these new products that you may eventually per- purchase if you enjoy racing and having the force feedback uh, feeling overall. So, you know, it's, it's a good product. It's does the job. It's a little bit more expensive than the T-150. So if you're a PC um, user, you may want to kind of look at the prices there. The one nice thing that this has that the T-150 did not is Thrustmaster integrated the power supply into the TMX as compared to having a separate brick on the T-150. So I think that's that's a nice little positive. Uh, I don't know many racers that really utilize the 1080-degree uh, rotation that a T-150 would give you as compared to this. Uh, most popular games will use in between, what, 750 to 900 uh, for, you know, essentially usable uh, turning radius, uh, well, degrees of rotation. So anyway, uh, positive product. It didn't really get a award. It didn't do anything hugely amazing. But if you're looking in, into getting into racing and want something better than the typical bungee cord, USB, uh, really cruddy wheels, then this is a really nice, good step. It's not going to it's not going to blow your bank account unless you're, you know, extremely poor. Um, and it's, you know, it's it's a good way to dip the toes into the water. Cool. And I didn't even talk 30 minutes about it. Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, simple budget racing wheel. Yeah. Uh, not a whole lot to, not a whole lot to dwell on there. Uh, Sebastian, at it again. Uh, you know, uh, yet another case for Sebastian. Keep just throwing case reviews at him. Uh, Deep Cool Gamer Storm Genome. Liquid cooled case. Does not mean that the whole case is liquid cooled. It just means it's a case that's paired with a uh, liquid cooler. In this case, I believe it's just a CPU cooler. Comes with it. Yep. Um, I mean, pretty sharp looking case. Uh, and like, is that the reservoir for the cooler that's built into the case? It surely is. I really like those cool those uh, reservoirs. 
Um, especially when you use like UV reactive uh, um, coolant and like backlight it and stuff like that. Um, so let's see here. Uh, man, yeah, that reservoir is definitely integrated in that case. It's like pre-case modded mm-hmm. for you. Huh. Look at that. Which is kind of handy if you don't really feel like putting a whole bunch of effort into putting your water cooler in. Uh, yes. Yeah. It's already there. Yeah. I mean, it kind of makes me want to water cool again just so I can have like a snazzy looking uh, reservoir right out, right sticking out the front of the case. Because usually you try to do something sharp looking with your reservoir and like make it visible from inside the case. And like now you don't have to worry about it. It's just there. All right. Uh, so let's see what else we got here. Um, there is a fan at the rear. Uh, no intake fans, unfortunately. No intake fans, but I think you can add them. You can, and in fact, he Sebastian highly recommends it because the GPU temps were pretty high. Uh, oh, okay. So it just wasn't really circulating that much air. No. I, I, well, um, it's liquid cooled, so sure enough. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but once he popped those uh, front fans, and he said it was just fine. Okay. Uh, I'm looking for the coolers. Okay, so there's the cooler. It looks like it looks like everything just comes built in. You got your reservoir yep. on the front. You got your uh, radiator, which I think is a triple. I think it's a triple rad. Uh, yeah, there's three fans on that guy. So that's a pretty beefy radiator for what is just a CPU cooler. Um, CPU cooler comes protected in the box for shipment. Obviously, I'm looking for the place where he unboxes that guy. Come on. Next page. Oh, all the way on the next page. Okay. Yep. Um, so let's you can see, see it hanging up oh, top there. Yep, that's pretty beefy looking. That is a stout core. All right. Well, you know, I mean, it looks like they're like they're doing it right. I'm assuming the I'm assuming the cooler has a pump built into it for the circuit. It looks like because it is pretty thick. Uh, so uh, the, yeah, this, this would lead me to leave. Yeah. Yeah. Water block. Uh, pump built in. Um, huh. Cool stuff. And it's oh. got a really fancy trick with a GPU. Yeah, look at that. They got a ribbon coming off of your GPU slot, and then so you can uh, so you can place your GPU vertically. Yep. And making it visible out the side window of the case instead of having all that stuff usually hidden and pointing straight down. Uh, so that's also cool. That's that's pretty sharp looking. Um, it's got a hard drive cage. It's got little SSD cages. Uh, it's got a fan controller. From the looks of it. Uh, ooh. What? I just said ooh. It's got a fan. Yeah, controller. fan controller built in. Um, yeah. What else we got here? Uh, so he did a build. Uh, and there's oh yeah, definitely fan controller. Oh well, he's using the fan controller on Asus. Motherboard. Okay. Uh, let's see here. What else we got? Man, that looks really sharp. Huh. All right. Uh, well, uh, definitely check it out. If you're listening to audio, definitely check this out on the on the site. Um, yeah, so the, the beefs uh, Sebastian had with it was uh, GPU cooling wasn't great. The CPU cooling was pretty darn good from the looks mm-hmm. of it and the results here. Um, or is it overclocked? Uh, or on AMD. Oh, what does he test in here? R9 290X. Oh, that's GPU. 
Yeah, so GPU definitely ran on the warm side with this particular case just because they didn't uh, include intake fans on the front. But that's remedied as long as you know that that's an issue coming into it. Um, And, you know, you just take care of it. Mm. 250 bucks. Yep, he says, uh, lowest idle and CPU load noise he has ever encountered. So that's good. That means they were smart on how they did their pump for the circuit. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's the whole point of water cooling was to have a pretty quiet machine. So 250 bucks. But remember, that's a case and the cooler. And that funky PCI and, Express thing. And the PCI ribbon. Well, I mean, you can get those for kind of cheap, but it has the mount for it so that the card sure will stay. Yeah, it's built into the case. But you know, triple rad. Nice looking reservoir with the little helix twist thing going on. Helix twist apparently is only for show. Doesn't actually work. Uh, okay. Which is sad, but okay. Well, but you can, if you're creative with how you do your lighting, you could probably shoot light through the helix. It's built that way. Oh, it just does it? Okay. There's LED lighting along the sides. uh, Yeah. So I just show off your fanciness. Sure. So, you know, reservoir, pump water block for a CPU and a triple red, like that stuff kind of adds up and mm-hmm. like you got that and a case that sounds like a deal does things. It's fantastic. Yeah. I mean like the last, when I did my last water cooling case, I like went, I tried to get like an integrated thing. That's when cool ants was making them. And that was like 650 bucks for the case. Yeah. And it was, that was the case, a dual rad, and a reservoir, and the pumps. So the prices have come down considerably. I mean, you still have to get like the water blocks for mine. Um, yeah, pretty good. I'd say if you, you know, I'd say like if you want to get into water cooling and you don't want to have to like deal with trying to source what part from where and whatnot. Um, just remember, you're gonna need some intake fans on that. I, I'm surprised they didn't include intake fans because that's like you know, most people who water cool will recognize that you're going to end up suffering somewhere else on, like, cooling the other ambient-cooled things, non-water-cooled things. Um, and if, if they'd set up a loop where you could include the GPU in it, even if that was an extra kit, that would make more sense. But, yeah, you've got to have a little bit of air blowing over there. Yeah. Well, I mean, that that rad is enough is enough to support a GPU in addition. So if you had a water-cooled GPU, you could probably splice it in, okay. I, I would imagine. You know, it's not like it's a sealed system since it has a reservoir. So, True. yeah, you should be able to like cut into that and, uh, you know, add some stuff. Should work. All right, cool. Uh, let's see here. Next up. Uh, actually, that's it for the week in review, isn't it? No. No. Uh, what else do we got here? EVs, power supply. EVGA, Lee, the power supply guru, yes. Uh, tested the EVGA Supernova 550-watt power supply. This is a 80-plus gold power supply. He has a whole line of them listed here as far as, like, updates on... Look at uh, that warranty. Uh, yeah. Warranty is... Seven years. Holy crap. On the 550 and 650, up. the 750 is an upper 10. Really? That's nice. Uh-huh. So seven-year warranty on the one he tested, but yeah, if you go higher on your wattages, um, it moves to a 10-year. 
no, I mean, I will say this. Power supplies tend to be pretty, you know, robust and last. <laughs> Just generally, yeah. so as long as there's halfway decent components on the thing, and as long as you're not, you no, know, tell me without a stat with a straight face ten years ago. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, if it was PC power and cooling, maybe. I mean, I've yeah. had I've had power supplies like, you know, you don't usually have power supply problems. At least I haven't. Oh man, you know, back in the early two thousands, like Enermax and Nantech and those guys oh, yeah. that were considered pretty Sparkle high end. I mean, you were lucky to get three years out of them. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Huh. I must have just been lucky. You probably were. I did I mean, have a plasma ball. Look how much air you have right now. I mean, I had a plasma ball come out of power supply, but that was a water cooling. Like, that was my fault. Like, I had a leak. I moved across country. Something developed a leak during the move. I fired up the PC, didn't see the leak, and it basically just, like, and the leak was going straight into the power supply. Like, and it, it wasn't happy. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> they generally are. No, no. It was, yeah. Um... Let's see here. I mean, it's pretty much bang on uh, the same as the G2 was. Okay. Uh, it's just shrunk. Oh, well, that's good. So I used a 130 millimeter fan, and I'm just trying to figure out. Uh, I know the measurement's in here somewhere, but it's it's knocked a little bit off of the size. Uh, oh, sorry, it's 150 millimeters deep, so 5.9 inches. So Yeah, it's basically like just a little bit larger than the size of the fan, and it's square. So this version had an extra, I think they were 175s. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, modular cables. Cool. Um, of course, he's going to like bust it open here, I'm sure. Uh, let's see. There it goes. Uh, you know, it's just that's uh, like this is a 550, right? Or a 650? Yeah, 550. So 550. it's not going to be, you know, you don't need a lot of stuff in there. Um, even though it is smaller, like they could have probably even got away with making it even a little bit smaller than that. Probably just kept that size to mostly to accommodate the fan and, and to be, you know, basically like a normal size for a power supply. Huh? All right. I mean, you know, components look good. It's not a whole lot of internal cabling. Yeah. It's all PCB and soldered to the main board. The construction looks. Yeah. Looks good. Pretty nice. Yep. Very clean. Nice, clean design. Less stuff for dust to get caked all over over time. You know, that's always Less good. Less plastic thing. parts to possibly overheat and then fry. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's see what he uh, boils down in his thing here. Actually, the prices look pretty darn good all the way up to 1,000 watts. 1,000-watt yeah. power supply for 160 bucks. For like with a 10-year warranty? With a 10-year warranty. Yeah, I mean, well, it's a, and, and it's a quality power supply at that, so... You know, I mean, that's that's pretty good. Um, wait a minute. 550 watts up to... So about the ratings of the whole line? Up to 1,000 watts? I hope he didn't pull 1,000 watts from a 550-watt power no, supply. No, no, he didn't. That's that's the entire line. The okay. entire line goes yeah. up to 1,000 watts. Gotcha. Uh, 90% efficiency. That's pretty good. Uh, very clean DC output, according to uh, how he has measured it. Um, you know, I mean, all Japanese-made capacitors. The good stuff. Yeah. All right. We've got editor's choice from Lee. Uh, so that's definitely saying something. Cool. All right. Uh, we got one more. 
Well, it's is it actually a review? It's more like a news. It's more like a newsy editorial y kind of thing. Um, Qualcomm and Microsoft bring uh, full Windows 10 to Snapdragon devices. Uh, you're what are you looking at? Am I on the new? What is this? Razer well, joins it, Kronos Group. Hold on. This was under did the not, wrong... Did that uh, not make it in? I don't know. It's, oh. I'm looking at the show notes. Oh, that's that's pretty brand new, isn't it? Yeah, that's a brand new thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. It just happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ryan it just, just, just didn't happen it. in the lineup, Just, just happened. So. He snuck this in on, on Josh through Josh off. That's uh, easy to do. Uh, so, uh, at heck in China today, Qualcomm and Microsoft announced partnership to enable a full Windows 10 computing, yeah, computing environment on systems based on Snapdragon. Uh, so, like, Microsoft's taking another stab at this whole not x86 thing again, I guess? Uh, well, except they're doing it properly this time as opposed to making up an... Like its own Windows build? Thing Levy referred to as an operating system? Uh, yeah, yeah. Windows RT was... <laughs> yeah, so as opposed to a useless operating system that nobody's going to use and it's going to die a very quick death... Um, this is something where I guess they're going to virtualize. Uh, Windows on Windows. Yeah. I mean, it'll kind of, I guess it'll kind of be similar to how like 64 bit Windows runs 32 bit stuff now, except. Got it. Um, well, yeah, but it's a little different, right? Like it's, oh. you know, it's like the whole kernel now has to run on this thing that's not x86. Right? Yep. So. But it will run Office, Edge, uh, games, of course, UWP stuff from the Windows Store. But uh, they're saying it's going to be a lot more native than it was for their first horrible attempt at doing this. Now, I'm guessing that they had to bake some extra stuff into the into the Snapdragon hardware. I would imagine. Like, to make this uh, at a reasonable speed, basically, to make to get reasonable performance out of this, right? Because, like, if you just tried to port, like, the whole Windows thing, x86, virtualized, under ARM, it probably wouldn't perform that great. Just I don't know. I, it says it runs Crisis 2. Well, sure, sure. I'm just saying, like, if you did that, uh, you know, if you tried to take a Windows RT machine with an ARM processor in it, you know, and uh, just do this with it instead. I don't think that hardware would work nearly as well as this Snapdragon. You know, that's kind of like better optimized to handle um, this this type of a thing. Huh. And the part of it is that they're, they're talking about an all-new form factor. I, I, okay. So extra-large tablet, extra-small ultrabook, return of the netbook sort of a thing i don't know they're already kind of lte in it so they're already they're already kind of doing extra large tablet although it's a desktop machine no right um hmm well i mean sort of what they're they're pumping so it's going to be interesting to see what exactly they're thinking or are they going to be building it into your bloody fridge and toaster yeah but another possibility to be able to be ballsy enough to put crisis 2 in your press release yeah like it has to perform. So, there's also an update for it coming out where there's ultra ultra low settings. But you know, <laughs> crisis to it, three hundred by two forty. Yeah. I get it. All right, you figured it out. Uh, okay, so I mean, I guess you know more to follow on that as we uh, 
we might uh, this seems close enough to CES to where like there might be a thing for us to see at, at the show maybe somewhere hiding in a back corner or some room somewhere it's possible uh, so um, you know keep your eyes open for that one all right Josh me now now we can talk about that next thing I have no idea what it's about oh you just you're just so excited. To t- talk about the next thing, so we're moving off into the the, the general news here. Well, I mean, you know, um, we all know that Josh has no standards that, so. that handle OpenGL, oh, and well, it's kind of interesting yeah. that Razor, who you know used to just make keyboards and mice, and then went into some interesting laptops and a plethora of other products, is now on the Chronos Group. Jeremy, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, it's been they've been kicking around for a while and we're trying to get like a nice standard going which is not going to be one of 15 different VR standards. So it, it looks like Razer for whatever reason is sort of interested. Maybe they're working on a peripheral. Maybe they just want to make sure that uh, they've got a little bit of a voice in it because you've got a long list of people. Uh, Google, Microsoft, Oculus VR, Samsung, Sony, and Valve. Uh, Microsoft is involved, but not in this particular thing, which is probably them going their own way with their HoloLens and the baked-in VR for Windows 10 that they're going to be working on. I would not be shocked if someone in Razer is thinking, all right, uh, VR needs new peripherals. The, the mouse and keyboard are usable, but there, there's a new market. Let's try and get in here, figure out a way to put our product uh, paired with the Vive, paired with uh, whatever Valve does with their open VR, to get, you know get in the market and just be there at the very beginning so that they've got a little bit of an edge on Logitech, on any of the other guys who are going to be like, ah, crap, not everybody likes those little pointer things. And Razer may have come out with something interesting. Other than that, it's it's uh, it's odd how big the announcement was that Razer's joining. I mean, this is a great thing, but yeah, Razer? So uh, Ken's yelling at me over here saying oh. uh, Razer has a head-mounted display that they make. Which I didn't, I didn't know. Like, oh. I didn't even know that they had one. We should probably like Is look it called at, the blade. We should probably look at that thing. See, so, you now that at makes a point. hell of a lot more sense. Or is it not available? It's like an open source project. That oh, making a headset for. open source, huh? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, there definitely does need to be some kind of standardization push thing, you know, for uh, all this VR stuff, especially. Hey, everybody. I'm Ryan Shrout, cutting in here to make sure we give credit where credit is due to our sponsor for this week's episode of the PC Perspective Podcast, Casper. That's right. We all know Casper. They are the uh, uh, online retailer of premium mattresses at a fraction of the cost. They revolutionized the mattress industry uh, by cutting out the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing the savings on to you guys. Uh, and we have the ability to pass more savings on to you with coupon codes as well. So that's obviously important. Casper mattresses are obsess- uh, obsessively engineered. They combine uh, a couple of technologies, springy latex foam and supportive memory foam. So you get the best of both worlds there. Uh, just the right amount of sink and bounce, as they like to say. It's a breathable design. 
helps you regulate your temperature through the night. I have a Casper mattress. I love it. Uh, I was sleeping on it just today after a red-eye flight, actually. Um, and the best part about it for me is these types of mattresses, uh, you don't notice when somebody else gets out of bed. If the dog gets up and walks off the bed to go downstairs, I don't have to worry about it because the springs are not are not bouncing around and, and jostling me on the other side of the mattress. Um, they understand the importance of truly trying out a mattress um, that you really spend like a third of your life on. And really, this is the important part here. You get a 100-day trial period with free delivery and painless returns. That's right. After 100 days, if you don't like the mattress, if you feel like it's not for you, you can send it back. I don't think that will be the case for you, but you have that flexibility and that option. That's pretty impressive. Uh, impressive. Casper mattresses are made in the USA. You get free shipping and returns in the US and Canada. And you can get a Casper mattress for $500 for a twin or $950 for a king size. And those are actually really good prices already. But we can save an additional $50 if you go to casper.com slash PCPer and use offer code PCPer. That's casper.com slash PCPer. Use promo code PCPer. Terms and conditions do apply. And we thank Casper for their support of the PC Perspective podcast. Thanks, guys. Cool. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Thermal Take launches a water cooling friendly extended ATX uh, 900 series case. Look at that thing. Holy crap. It's like, it looks kind of like the case that would surround like a UV based 3D printer, except there's computer Bigger. parts in there. It's like a big square. Well, it's not like a pure square. It's like a stretched out cube that's like a little it's taller. It's like 30 by 17 by 19 more or less. Yeah. Huh. She's big. And yeah. so you notice how you're not seeing components so much as you're seeing cooling? Yeah, yeah. It's like everything's along the back. You know, yeah. and uh, and then you got uh, glass panes on probably the front two-thirds along either side. And then it's like the back third of the space of the case is reserved for like all your extra stuff that's going to be behind the motherboard. And then your it's PSU, almost, yeah, and it's almost uh, like it, rad, just about everything. Yeah, it's almost like an aquarium, kind of. Yeah. You know, for showing off your uh, your water cold stuff. I mean, it looks pretty cool. Um, definitely roomy. Uh, oh, that's what's in the back there. So yeah. a couple of hard drive cages. Looks like uh, I'm guessing you can fit four hard drives in there. And then there's just all sorts of room for PSU. And, you know, I mean, you, there's a bunch of space back there. You could probably cram all sorts of stuff back there if you really. Yeah, four on the left, four on the right, and four on the back. Huh. So you can fit quite a you know, almost enough storage for you. Uh, yeah, almost, almost. Uh, oh, and it comes in white for the people that uh, still have like a couple minutes to enter that contest <laughs> to get that power supply. Because even though I don't think you can see it in this case, that power supply would really go with it when you took the back off. <laughs> Unfortunately, you could see it; it'd look awesome. <laughs> it looks amazing when you open up the back of the thing that you're not supposed to open the back of. Uh, all right. I mean, that's pretty cool. Uh, 250 bucks, but it's water cooling friendly. I don't think that means it comes with the water cooling stuff. Uh, but plenty of room for the water cooling stuff, uh, which will cost you some more money. But yeah, that's, that's a really nice looking case. Definitely is. All right. Cool. I'm sure we will see plenty of those at CES. Um, next up. Uh, Tim wrote this one up. Intel Z270 Express and H270 Express will support Cavi Lake, of course. 
and give you more PCI Express 3.0 lanes. And I think it only gives you like four more, right? Um, That's right. Four more. Yeah, four more lanes coming off of the chipset, which means these are four more lanes that are still bottlenecked by uh, DMI 3.0 link, which is going to give you PCI Express uh, 3.0 by four speed, basically. Um, but, you know, realize... Why we're not seeing more M.2 slots on there either. Uh, yeah, yeah. They're not changing how the rapid storage technology stuff works, which is, you know, you can you can do M.2 SSD, like NVMe RAID. Uh, basically, you swap every pair of SATA ports with an M.2 port, so you can have boards that okay. go like the, what is it, the Gigabyte uh, SOC Force... Z170, which we reviewed. We did triple M.2 RAID, but if you'd use that, you have no SATA ports. Um, and none of, that's, none of that stuff is changing with this. It's still six SATA ports that you can swap interchange for up to three M.2 if the motherboard maker puts it on there. So these extra four lanes are basically for just extra stuff, like extra peripherals, extra things that would uh, be integrated into the motherboard that need PCI lanes. Um you know, that that are not necessarily going to be saturating the bandwidth uh, or the bottleneck of DMI 3.0. Because there's plenty of auxiliary stuff in your system that is not a bandwidth hog, uh, but it just needs someplace to plug in, basically, right? So, you know, think about it like your, uh, you know, Ethernet controllers and, you know, uh, basically, you, you know, your sound, your USB ports, extra USB ports that aren't uh, built into the chipset, because the chipset already accounts for some of that stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, giving you a little more breathing room on this chipset to talk to a little bit more stuff uh, without taking up the CPU uh, PCI lanes. So, I mean, you know, looks cool. Progression. I mean, there's not a lot of other groundbreaking things that happen there. Uh, what really needs to happen from Intel is a faster link to the chipset. But that does not seem to be on the chart yet uh, as far as uh, Cappy Lake. Otherwise, we would have heard something. Uh, okay. Uh, next up. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. I can't. I can't freaking wait. I'm waiting. <laughs> This is like too long. Like the, it's always too long before the next Mech Warrior release. So Mech Warrior oh, Five. Good Lord, how many decades? Has yeah, been? I, I know, right? Like it's, it's it's you know people should be talking about this instead of talking about uh, what's that game that never like comes out? Oh, Duke, Duke Nukem or something. But eventually, yeah. it, it, did. it eventually did come out. But like, unfortunately, you never hear that. You never hear that meme about the Mech Warrior stuff. But it's always like such a cool game. In well, the and end. the BattleTech one that just got kickstarted will be turn-based, so it's going to be fun, but it's not. Fum, 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 fum. Yeah, yeah, it's not going to be actually like. Can, yeah. can, can you believe you know, it was 1995, 96 when MechWarrior Two was out? We've only gone through only till five over twenty years. Yeah, these people yeah. are just slacking. Yeah, slacking. and I'm looking yep. at this. I'm looking at some of the footage. I mean, it looks pretty. Looks good. pretty. For for pre alpha, but it will uh, be more like Mech Warrior One, yeah, in a way, because it's set early in the universe, pre clan. Uh, a lot of the fancy shit that you you grew up to love, the LBX uh, auto cannons, the enhanced range lasers, uh, some of the fancier Gauss rifles, you're not really going to see. Uh, this is going to be more of the standard stuff that you saw the PPCs, uh, basic lasers. 
long range missiles and short range missiles, of course, but it's it's not going to be quite the arsenal that you might be hoping for. I mean, but this could also make some interesting things story wise. It still looks pretty darn good. I mean, that really does look pretty good. What I'm hoping oh, yeah. for is VR, some sort of VR support. Well, oh. it's you. It's Unreal Engine Four. So guess what? Uh, well, there's yeah. VR support, but uh, but the VR support would probably like. I don't think you would use it to turn the torso. You know what I mean? Like VR usually, you if you turn mo- your head in the cockpit, that, that's what I mean. You, you turn your head the in the cockpit. Window. But but unfortunately, well, yeah, yeah. If there is a side window, see, that's, that's, I'd hope not. There it's might there might not be a good way to catch a bullet in the side of your there head. There might not be a side window. <laughs> I don't think there were side windows on this mech that was. Uh, on this one that they're driving right here, or at least there's a big gun on the left, so I don't know how you can see that. But no, like, I would expect that. the view will be like this, so you turn your head, you're turning the torso. Yeah, I mean... I see no benefit to looking around the cockpit. Yeah, see, that's my point. Like, you really need to look, like, out the front. But Josh does have a point. If there are mechs that have a wider, like, field of view out of the front of the cockpit, then, uh, huh. Ah, uh, you're freaking locust and stuff, maybe, but yeah, oh, I don't crap. think so. What the hell? Like, like a dropship? Drop oh, a dropship. Uh, yeah. Flying. They're in a wee bit of problem right now. Oh. Not just one, not just two. Holy crap. Well, that's uh, laser beams. So there's there's something that's never looked quite that good, actually. I don't know. That guy's taking fire, too. I don't think he cares. Uh yeah. Yeah, I don't think he cares either. He's dropping he's dropping his stuff, yo. Are they going to show what gets dropped? No, of course not. They're going to no, fade it No, you out. don't get to see the layouts. But apparently you get a job with them. All right. At the very end of it. So they're like, oh, looks like we got a new job, boys. Huh. Yeah, looking uh, forward to you it. You know, I mean, looks looks like a good MicroWarrior game. Sweet. I mean, I, I was like playing Battletech on like Commodore. Well, MicroWarrior Online is CryEngine stuff. Though. Yeah. The, the yeah. commander saying it's like, going to be like MicroWarrior Online. Not necessarily. Yeah. Interesting. All right, cool. Uh, next up, news. Uh, HP launches ruggedized Apollo Lake-powered Apollo Lake? Uh, yeah. Convertible tablet. Which one is it's Apollo semi-beer Lake? semi-beer-proof. Uh, Apollo Lake's the uh, Celeron N3350 or Pentium N4200 paired with a HD500 or 505. Okay. All right. So, I mean, you know, decent performing uh, for a tablet. Um, you know, not like a powerhouse. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's basically just a convertible tablet thing. 11-inch uh, screen, two-in-one. And... Uh, Semi-beer proof. Yeah. I mean, looks cool. Um, probably a yet another one of those things we'll see at CES. I would imagine. And it's also, you've got to have one of those uh, Windows 10 academic editions. Yeah. They're only going to sell it to uh, universities and such. Okay. But it starts at 329 bucks, so it's definitely student priced. Yeah, it's definitely student pricing. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so that'd be the kind of thing you pick up through your university store or something like that. And hopes it supports RDP. (laughs) So you can Uh, actually connect to a real machine. uh, Yeah. Yeah, that would help. Um. All right. Cool. Uh. Next up. Uh. This one's me. Micron launches 5100 series enterprise SSDs. Um. So this is like a staged rollout 
that these guys are doing. Um, I had a, I had a call with them uh, last week, and they basically briefed me on all the stuff to come. And they're here's the thing: they're doing a serial ATA enterprise line of SSDs. They are all going to use the IMFT 3D flash. All of, every single SKU is going to be pure TLC mode. No hybrid, no SLC, no caching trickery. And the performance of all these products is shockingly good considering that they're all rated for enterprise workloads. Meaning if you do 4K random to these things, you're not just doing 4K random to a little chunk of the drive. You're doing it to the whole drive, like all the way across front to back. Um, so there are three different like major models here. There's an Eco, a Pro, and a Max. And then basically... As you work your way up to the max, there is essentially just higher and higher over-provisioning of the flash. So you're probably going to be like, you know, somewhere around 7 or 10% over-provisioning for the Eco, and then the OP will just go continue to go up. Uh, by the time you get to the max, you're probably over 50% uh, over-provisioned on your flash. So, you know, basically close to two times the amount of flash available Um compared to what's uh what's shown to the user um uh specs are pretty good um you know i mean like you know sequentials are your typical kind of sequentials you're going to saturate it's again it's sata right they also make m.2 but remember that's not nvme it's m.2 sata um because this is enterprise and there are some enterprise form factors that want to cram even more uh sata parts into a smaller space so they'll have like an m.2 kind of like SATA cage thing that can just like cram a bunch of those channels in there. Um, but, uh, you know, as you, as you work your way up from eco to max, you know, 74,000 random writes when it's random writes to the whole SSD, like that's pretty darn good for, you know, flash management. And just the fact that this is all running in TLC, like you would expect this thing to be crawling. Um, but apparently Micron has figured out something with how to tune these things or just make them, I don't know. All I know is we need to test them ourselves and see, you know, how these things are actually performing and what, and what their consistency looks like. Because that's another one of their claims is that the performance consistency is even better than some of the competitors' NVMe enterprise products um, and higher. So higher random IOPS out of a SATA part uh, than some NVMe parts. Now realize, when you do random to the entire span of flash, even on NVMe, like typically the flash is your limiting factor. So uh, that's, you know, that's pretty good. Uh, so I look forward to uh, testing that stuff and using our new uh, method of uh, doing that performance consistency test, like using latency percentile and whatnot to, uh, to show that stuff. So we'll see. Um, they're not all out yet. They're not um, rolling out every single capacity right away either. Uh, you're going to have to wait for that 8-terabyte eco model, uh, which will not be launched until later next year. Um, they did tell me that none of this has to do with waiting for like more layers of Flash or waiting for a newer generation of Flash. It's just a matter of how they, they didn't want to like flood the market with a bunch of SKUs at the same time. So when they do make an 8-terabyte model, it's just going to be the same type of dies, the same 3D, uh, you know, 32-layer flash. Um, but it will just be, uh, you know, more of it built into the product, and it'll obviously be a more expensive product. Um, 
But speaking of expense, again, these are enterprise parts. Uh, for the Eco model, you're around 50 cents per gig, which is, again, pretty darn good for an enterprise rated product, like one that can handle random, it's meant for basically, you know, like, you know, like continuous random access. If, you know, up to continuous random access. Um, pretty cool stuff. Um, moving on to uh, more enterprise SSD stuff. Uh, this time it's uh, Western Digital. Now, Western Digital and HDST are technically like the same company, right? Western Digital has SanDisk now and they have HDST. Um, I think they're kind of choosing to not rebrand everything and call everything a Western Digital thing because HDST has a kind of a lot of street cred when it comes to enterprise parts. So I believe HDST is kind of just going to turn into like the enterprise branding or enterprise brand of Western Digital. Um, that's just a hunch. I mean, WD still does have some enterprise hard drives, but like it just seems to be that this is the way things going. Things are going. Um, so you take a SanDisk flash, I assume, and you put it into a second generation HGST uh, SSD, uh, and you end up with a SN two hundred series. Um, so that's going to be available in U dot two form factor, which is PCIe three point by four in a uh, two and a half inch form factor it's a little bit thicker than your typical two and a half inch ssd but it's again it's like a design more for uh enterprise like smaller form factor than trying to put a bunch of pci cards into a into a chassis um they do make a pci half height half length card it's a sn260 and if you're gonna go for the card you might as well use some more of those pci lanes that you could have in the uh in that particular spec so this is a uh NVMe uh, PCIe 3.0 by 8 on that one, which ends up doubling your throughput to 6.2 gigabytes per second out of this SSD. Um, that's pretty cool. Uh, and it does also, I believe it's for the U.2 version of it, um, it does what's called 2x2, two two, which is you can split uh, you could split this device into a two pairs of PCIe 3.0. So if you want to have a chassis that effectively like splits the storage across to two systems, you could have a pair of systems that are each talking to an array or even individually of the U.2 parts, uh, which are normally by four, except each system has access to everything that's stored on it, except it's over a by two link. And so each of the two systems can access the storage at the same time. Uh, which is good for like failover and you know just different types of redundancy and setups. You can have the system itself go down one of the two, and all of your storage is still hot and still available. And then the other system just picks up, you know, picks up where the other one left off. Um, so that's a uh, cool stuff. Intel was talking about that at their cloud day thing um, earlier this year, and and up till now, as far as I knew, Intel was the only company even talking about having a product that can do that so now you have like another product moving into that two by two thing um also there's a line of sas ssds uh there definitely is some uh, 12 gigabit sas demand in the enterprise for um for that sort of thing um so think about these as sort of like enterprise sata ssds except they're a little bit thicker and they use sas 12 gigabit um and they have higher performance than what you could possibly get out of sata because that that link has half the bandwidth um 
so out of these, uh, they're talking about up to uh, 1,800, it's a 1.8 gig per second. Uh, actually, that seems even higher than what it should be capable of. Uh, and 250,000 4K IOPS. Uh, I'm going to have to look into that because I, I think it's a pair of 12 gigabit channels for SAS. I don't know. I'll have to double check. Anyway, impressive specs, what? nonetheless. Go ahead. What? SAS should be two six gigabit channels. Yeah, I yeah. thought I thought that was how SAS they got 12 the two six gigabit. Yeah, but their their read performance seems higher than what should be physically possible on that link. Because I don't think you can get one point eight gig per second across a uh, twelve gigabit interface. No. Or if you can, I'd love to know how you do. It. Yeah, yeah. So I'll have to I'll have to uh, double check that after this. Um, also, uh, and probably more interesting to uh, all of our readers, is uh, HE12. So there was an HE6, an HE8, an HE10. Now there's an HE12. So basically they added a platter to the HE10, uh, increased the density a little bit in addition to that, I believe. Uh, and uh, you know, They're kind of using that as radioactive helium. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, at least the helium makes the drive lighter. Yeah, 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 yeah. So HE twelve, that's a that's a heck of an isotope of helium. Yeah, like they got floating around in that thing. Um, no, so uh, twelve terabytes in a uh, standard hard drive, standard three and a half inch hard drive, uh, available in SATA and SAS. And uh, I mean, it is SAS twelve gigabit, but you know you don't see much more of a performance gain because you're limited really by the throughput of the disk. Um, Two hundred forty three meg per second. That's what the assuming that's like the beginning of the disk. That's pretty high for hard drive. Basically, you know, you're increasing your density, so you're getting a you know increase in the linear uh, track throughput there. So you see a little bit of a boost. Um, <laughs> this random read IOPS uh, 186. So <laughs> again, here's your reality check for hard drives versus solid state. Not 186,000. It's 186. Um, but you know, I mean, still, that's an awful lot of storage in a relatively small thing. And the, uh, if you've looked around anywhere on the net at the like actual in the field reliability reports from various places, uh, whenever they have the helium filled stuff in there, it's usually noticeably more, uh, reliable than any of the other types, which kind of makes sense. I mean, these things make less heat. There's less friction, uh, it's filled with an inert gas. You don't have to worry about any kind of uh, any particular getting in there because if they can seal it well enough so that the helium stays in and doesn't escape, then you pretty much like it's a basically it's a sterile environment uh, in there where all the mechanical parts are moving around. So uh, stands to reason, you know, like why you'd, you'd kind of see, uh, you know, some uh, reliability improvement there, even though the mean times between failures, like I think those numbers all work out the same because of the way that you come up with that type of a number. Um still you end up seeing like more actual reliability uh in the field um and not only is there an he12 but there's also going to be and it's probably not going to be called an he14 but uh, it'll be a 14 terabyte uh shingled magnetic recording drive coming middle of next year um which is basically just the he12 just reconfigured to overlap its tracks and and do shingling um but remember 
don't take one of those and like try to stick it in your ass. Um, it might work, but things will go very slowly if you do any kind of random writing. It will not be happy. Uh, think of shingled magnetic recording as like the tape backup equivalent of hard disks. Kind of. You get random reads, but you, you do not get random writes, or at least not a lot of them. Um, that's pretty cool. Uh, you know, and it was this time last year, they were, we were talking about um, 10 terabyte shingled coming. And now, one year later, that number has gone from 10 to 14. So, you know, the hard drive stuff is still kind of moving up. At least as far as the capacity goes. Um, it's not dead yet. I guess. You know, if you got your bulk storage needs. Yes, there is. Um, I haven't dug into that a whole bunch, but it's supposed to be a technology that... Um, reopen this thing here. It's supposed to be a technology that allows... Uh, it, there's coordination that needs to happen for, for this to all work. Where is that? It's down here at the bottom of the uh, their press release, I believe. Oh, it was. Um the idea is that uh, you can do a RAID rebuild and not have to read all drives front to back in order to accomplish it. Um, there is some sort of coordination between a RAID controller that has to have this feature. Like, if you can't just plug this into any RAID controller and have it do something different. The RAID firmware and hardware has to be aware of it. Um, but the idea is that um, when you go to do a rebuild... And say you've only written, say the drive only has half of the data actually stored on it, like it's only half full. Ideally, you would only rebuild the parts that, like, had data to rebuild, right? You wouldn't have to, you know, if you only had 10% of your array full, you wouldn't want to wait 100% of the writing time, right? Um, And the idea there is if you can minimize how quick it takes or how long it takes to do the rebuild, then you're maximizing your reliability because if you had a second failure in a RAID 5 that was rebuilding, then the whole array goes away or other bad things happen, right? So um, th- there isn't a lot of info out there about, about how this actually is implemented and works because I would imagine it's very, very vendor-specific. So uh, it's not something that any kind of uh, home user or even power user, I think, is going to be able to just like, oh, I'll just get this other RAID controller that has this thing and then poof, it just works, you know? Um, all right, cool. Uh, what's next? Uh, new GeForce drivers. Scott wrote this guy up. Uh, 376.19 is out, and they have two contests. Okay. Uh, driver fixed SLI issues in No Man's Sky. Which and, everyone cares about. And also uh, fixed uh, mobile, some mobile G-Sync stuff, G-Sync for laptops, um, which a couple people care about. Um and then, uh, what is the contest? Uh, two giveaways. Yeah. Post uh, to their Twitter and Facebook with about 15 different hashtags and ats. And they're giving away a 1080 every day. Uh, a bunch of Oculus Touch titles with that. And towards December 9th, this Friday, they're giving away a complete system with including an Oculus Rift and Touch controllers. Not, not awful. 
And yeah. their second one uh, involves their GeForce experience. You've got to uh, use the ZGeForce experience. And you get a Rift, touch controllers, and a 1070. Hmm. Literally all you need to do is use GeForce Experience, and you're already there, because as we've discussed before, you want to use it, you got to give them an email address. So, there you go. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could potentially win some stuff. you got to give up some info, obviously, of course. All right, cool. Uh... Uh, I believe this one is last. Uh, yeah. Uh, we sort of touched on it before. But we, yeah, we did already kind of touch on this one. Uh, this one, uh, Kronos Group uh, announces a VR standard initiative. Okay. So this is, I mean, it's different. It's a different article than what we were just talking about before. But, hey, look, um, Razor's in there. Yeah, look, Razor. Yeah, how, how convenient. That Razor Group that uh, just had a thing saying they were joining the Kronos Group. Um, so VR initiative. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, no, I don't see. Uh, well, Valve is there. Oh, yeah. yeah, well, they're open VR. Like they literally donated the open VR API to them. Right, right, right. But like Valve is there, which in a roundabout way includes like HTC is just making the hardware. Yeah. For the, um, yeah, for the Vive, which is Valve, right? So they're kind of all there. Like all the you know all the big players are there. Um, so that's cool. Um, you know, you got Google, Oculus, Razer, Valve, Epic Games, AMD, Intel, NVIDIA. No web VR guys, though. Uh, no, no. But, no. like, you know, they no might. No Samsung. That's, well, but they, true. they, they get theirs from Oculus, don't they? They license. I think so. Good yeah. question. Yeah. Uh, Ken is nodding in approval. So, yes. Yes. Um... All right, so I guess they're trying to make some kind of VR standard thing so that, you know... Oh, actually, they got Daydream in here in one of their uh, one of their things. So that's... Uh, yeah, I mean, they're pretty much... Oh, and Samsung Gear VR. There it is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like it's like they're just trying to cover the full gamut with, like, I guess a universal kind of API, like a VR API thing. We can hope. Uh, I mean, that would be good. Um, you know... Yeah, sweet. All right. Um, picks. Let's get to the picks before p- it's too late and we all die. Picks. All right. <laughs> uh, Ryan uh, is probably not picking Uber. No, he's picking Canuber. Uh, it's the new Uber, but with uh, boats. Oh, oh. Well, that might actually get him. Clever, Jeremy. That would get Clever. him. Uh, that would get him to his destination uh, quicker. Actually. Um. All right, what do you got, uh, Jeremy? Uh, it's a relatively new 3D printer that uh, I was just reading a review of, and it got like the best scores I have seen from the particular guys that uh, did it. And Ken's backed me up and said it's actually the shit. <laughs> so this is good. It's it's got a heated bed um, with some PIE film on it or PEI film on it rather, so you don't have to be gluing friggin shit or taping stuff down and you can print almost all the way up to the edges yeah uh it, it prints just about any body filament you want and as far as the accuracy goes it's just outstanding uh especially compared to what's on the market and at eight or sorry nine hundred dollars i think was the uh store link that he put in there it's 
very reasonable for a 3D printer. Or sorry, seven hundred dollars. It's no, it's nine hundred assembled. If you want it. Oh, sorry. There you go. You know, so two hundred dollars. Just put the damn thing together yourself. Yeah, it's uh, bloody cheap for what it is, and huh. it prints fair-sized stuff. I think Ken says you guys actually are playing with one. Uh, I think Ken, Ken and his buddy are playing with one. Oh, you have one at your office? Yeah. Sweet. So he'll back me up that apparently this thing is uh, the best on the market, more or less, and it's not stupidly expensive. Yeah, that's... wonder that's, if Hewlett's going to get one of those. Now he's going to get that filthy lucre for being in a Guillermo del Toro film. Wait, does that thing got the that. controller built into it? There's a Fancy, screen on the huh? front. So the controller, like... The, but the screen's on a big box that sits next to the thing. So this doesn't have that big box. Oh, look, you oh, load oh, in your okay. little, uh... Nice. Yeah, yeah And 9.84 uh, cool. by 8.3 by 8 inch prints. That's big. Yeah? Oh, it's two months back ordered? Well, mm. crap. Of course. Hopefully the quality control stays, stays up. Get it for Easter. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, cool. Uh, Josh? Me? Gosh, I thought you'd never get to me. Mm. I've been waiting for you, Alan, waiting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Bated breath. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's kind of beer breath, mm-hmm. but same thing. You know, there's there's more cheap SSDs out there. This uh, may not be yeah. a fantastic one, but for the price, price per gig, <clears throat> Pretty amazing. So, sixty-eight bucks for a two hundred and fifty gig, reasonably fast SSD from Mushkin. Cool. Who can afford not to? Triactor. I think it's something like twenty-seven cents per gig. Yeah, that's not bad. No. There's probably going to be a bunch of on and off sales, like between, you know, between now and the Christmas, actually. Yeah. Actually, there might be some crazy ones after Christmas because you might have a bunch of stock of uh, SSDs that didn't move during the Christmas season. They might just start cropping up in random places for like super cheap blowout prices. Just a hunch because that kind of thing was happening last year. Yeah. Um, yep. All right. Uh, I am trying to pull up the link for my pick. You should do that faster. Uh all right, so I ordered some of these things for me, and it looks like they make great stocking stuffers. There was a uh, Unbox Therapy video on this recently, and I was pretty shocked at how well this worked. And then I started reading a bunch of other reviews of people, and it pretty much looks like it just it just works like is, this is well. Is this your new nubbins? Uh, kind of. It's just like it's a lint brush. It's a well. It looks like it works like a lint brush, and it's like in a little shell, and it's a roller, but. It removes fingerprints and dust instead of lint. Like the fingerprint part is what kind of blows me away, because I mean, if it was if it wasn't for me watching videos of this and like they're just being overwhelming positive reviewers of this thing actually working, so I'm ordered these and like maybe like next week on the podcast or whatnot, I'll we'll fingerprint some screens and and like roll this thing on them or something like that. Those but, aren't fingerprints. But it, but I but I thought like that you know surely this thing will just get gummed up, but the idea is that you it rinses off. So, you know, when it does stop working, you just rinse the thing off and then now it's clean. 
So then you get can get one of those uh, cases with a piano black finish on it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's anything that's glossy black or just glossy reflective that has fingerprints. Like this thing just kind of erases them, just like rolls over and removes them. And I just like that it's a roll, like for, you know, something like a touchscreen laptop. That'd be pretty handy. You know, it's kind of annoying when you've got a touchscreen laptop and then all of a sudden your lighting is just right so that the light is bouncing off the all the fingerprints on the screen and you have a black background. Uh, you know, and like your laptop screen looks like butt. So you can just roll this thing over it and then, uh, you know, clean it up. I don't know. Seems like a good idea for stocking stuffers because like, you know, like my mother-in-law's got like laptops she's always touching the screen on and it's not even a touch screen. You know, and like, you know, she's got an iPad, clean, clean the iPad screen, you know, just kind of makes sense. And it's a good stocking stuffer sized thing. Anyway, uh, that's me. Uh, Ken, you got anything? No. All right. Ken's going to be boring. Um, I guess that's it. That's the works. That's the works. Alrighty. Alrighty. Well, uh, pcpro.com slash podcast. That's where you can find all the stuff we were talking about. We'll put show notes up there. Um, if you want to head to the boss, twitter.com slash Ryan Trout or just twitter.com slash pcper. Um, and that's it. With that, I'm Alan Malentano. I'm Jeremy Holstrom. I am a super excited Josh Walrath because I get to go and finish an article. Oh, he's happy. You. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. If you enjoyed this content, consider supporting in-depth technical content by contributing at patreon.com slash pcper.